we are uh, um, we started last week this series in Hebrews uh, that. And the focus of Hebrews, for most of Hebrews, is the idea of Christ being exalted. And so this, this morning, we're going to take, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, so we're going to start in verse five, and we're going to talk about Christ being exalted above the angels. Uh, one of the things we tend to do in uh, our, I guess, just human state is we tend to venerate things. And sometimes we can give things a little bit too much veneration, too much honor, too much uh, awe and wonder, uh, more than more than really what they deserve. And so uh, this morning we're gonna we're gonna kind of uh, uh, put angels in their proper place as we find Christ exalted above them. And uh, Hebrews chapter one verses five through fourteen will be the passage we're reading from this morning. So stand with me as we read Hebrews one. 5 through 14. This is God's Word this year and every year. And if you let it, it will change your life. Hebrews 1 verse 5 begins, For which, for to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in its beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They shall be changed, but you are the same. Your ears, yours will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Pray with me. Father, as we read your word, as we study your word, I pray that we would, we would be made low and you would be exalted. Help us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be seated. We, we tend to venerate things and, and, and for, it's not necessarily a bad instinct, but we can take it too far. Um, there are times when we do this with people. There's just certain people that we look up to so much. You can remember as a child, I know, you can remember a time when you looked up at your dad and thought he knows everything or your mom and think she is the greatest. There's no one better than my mom. There's no one smarter than my dad. Unfortunately, I have a teenager in the house, so I am no longer the smartest person alive. I've gotten incredibly dumb. Maybe in another 10 or 15 years, I'll be smart again. I don't know. I'm hoping, maybe, cross your... Cross my fingers, knock on wood. Maybe we'll get there eventually. But it's amazing. What was that, Malcolm? Three years. Just three? You think it'll be that short? Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, there you go. 
It's amazing to me how we can look at certain people and we can so esteem them, so prop them up, so exalt them in our hearts that we almost worship them. Now, you could talk to some Catholics today that look at the Virgin Mary as though she is next to God. They will pray to her and assume that she will pass their prayers along to God. That if Mary is praying with you, well, then God can't refuse. There are some that look at individual pastors that way or, or evangelists. Hardly any of us would think of Billy Graham and not think of him with some veneration. Some, some would look at people like that with too much honor, almost worshiping. Same thing happens with angels. It, it, I, I grew up mostly in the 90s. I was born in 83, so most of my childhood memories were in the 90s. And in the 90s, there was this big kick with angels. Y'all probably remember this. Touched by an Angel was a TV show. Huge TV show. People were talking about angels a lot. There was a lot of study on angels. There were, there were church groups studying angels. For a long time, people have looked up to angels and venerated them. And in some reasons, it's kind of understandable. I mean, angels are not like people. I mean, they, they're, they're not just human beings with flesh on them that make all the mistakes that we make, like putting the wrong year on the front of the bulletin. I, I went ahead and did the wrong year for you, so you can write all your checks right, because I've already made the mistake on the bulletin, okay? So I saved you a freebie, okay? But in... We look at angels and we think, well, they don't really make mistakes. Well, some of them did one time, but that was it, right? <laughs> some of the angels fell from grace. They followed Lucifer, an angel who got too proud, too big for his britches, and said, I'm going to be like the Most High. And, and, you know, all these angels follow after him. They're all now demons, and their fate is sealed. But all the rest of them, man, they stayed with God, and that's fine. Everything's great for them, right? And it will be for all eternity. We look at angels as though they're good and, and, and they're better than us because they don't struggle with the sins that we struggle with. They don't have the same kinds of issues that us. They don't get old like we do. They don't have aches and pains and hurts and itises living in the spare bedroom of our houses. They're, they don't have those kinds of problems. They don't have the difficulties that we face. And yet, if we're not careful, we can venerate them too much. In Jewish thought, it was thought that uh, angels not only gave people God's words, which they do throughout the scripture, you can see angels oftentimes delivering the words of God. They also thought that angels would take men's prayers before the Father. And that if, that if your prayer was to get to God, an angel had to carry it to him. We're not worthy to be in God's presence. Not even our words are worthy. They need a celestial escort. But I think the place for us to start today is to kind of set one thing as a basic groundwork for our understanding of angels. We don't know tons throughout the scriptures, but we do see angels appear quite a bit. And when we see them, we always see this one aspect about them. Angels are the servants of God. That's all an angel is. The word angelos, which is where we get our word angel from, is a Greek word for a messenger. They, they deliver messages. They are the divine postal service delivering, carrying messages to those to whom God is speaking. We see it in the book of Daniel. There's an angel that comes to Daniel and, and he says that I've been trying to get to you for weeks. I'm paraphrasing here, but I've been caught up in warfare with the enemy. 
And, and another angel has to come and take over the battle so that he can be freed up to deliver the message God sends to Daniel. We see it happen with Joshua. They have just crossed the Jordan River. They are waiting to go into the city of Jericho and the angel of the Lord appears before Joshua, the commander of God's army. And Joshua's first thing he says is, are you a friend or a foe? Are you with us or against us? And the angel says, I, I command the armies of the Lord. And Joshua suddenly realizes, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't have authority here. Completely changes his outlook. Gives Joshua the battle plan for Jericho. We see angels delivering messages to Mary and Joseph. You're going to have a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to put a baby within you and it's going to be God's chosen one. Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take her. You don't have to divorce her. God's doing this. She wasn't unfaithful to you. God is the one doing this. Zacharias finds out his wife's pregnant. He doesn't even believe the angel. How do you not believe an angel? Then again, the spirits, uh, uh, the Bible does say test the spirits. But all these angels are just servants of God. They're just doing what God wants them to do. Oftentimes it's carrying a message. Sometimes it's fighting spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's protecting. We see cases where angels, in fact, one of the Psalms says, he will give his angels charge over you to protect you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, of course, Satan uses that to try to tempt Jesus to throw himself down from the top of the temple. Jesus sets him straight. But the point is, whether they're protecting or whether they're just serving God, singing his praises in heaven, see Isaiah chapter 6 or Revelation in several places, or whether they're just delivering God's words, they're always serving God. Angels are servants of God. In fact, look, look at verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now that doesn't mean he literally turns his angels into wind and fire. That's not what he's literally saying. What he's saying is he's doing his work through his angels, his servants, his ministers. By the way, that word minister, it, it means servant. Verse 14 doubles this down. It says, are they not all ministering spirits, the angels, sent out to serve? Watch this, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So not only are they serving God, they're serving God for our benefit. Now, and it's not just for our benefit. Let me ask you a question. Do you eat a steak because it has protein in it or because it's delicious? Yes, is the right answer. <laughs> the main thing is really the protein, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the real reason? Some of you are like, it's not the reason I eat steak. You see, there's a, there's a reason you do something and then there's a side benefit. Oh yeah, it happens to have protein, Right? It happens to nourish you. The angels give this side benefit to us. They're not really serving us per se. They're serving God. But we kind of get some of the benefits from it. Sometimes it's protection. Sometimes it's knowing what God wants. Sometimes it's the encouragement of seeing someone doing what God wants them to do and knowing that we can follow suit and do the same. By the way, are you a servant of God? The angels serve him. We should too. That's a freebie for you. All right. That's the angels. They're servants of God. They are here to serve God. And 
we were created for the same reason. So that brings up a question. The angels are servants of God. Isn't Jesus a servant of God too? So how is Jesus better than the angels? What is it about Christ that makes him more exalted, higher, lifted above the angels? What makes him exalted and the angels not? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us, in, in, in this case, I find five different reasons that Jesus is better than the angels. Number one, he is the divine son. None, now, now, sometimes the angels are called sons of God, but that's kind of like when you talk about a category of something. It's like, this is, they're kind of related to God in a certain way. It's not the direct sonship that Jesus is, but it's, it's kind of a, they're kind of all like, they're, they're God's entourage. They're his celestial council or, or, or uh, beings. And so they're kind of called sons of God because they're kind of like God in that they're not just physical. They are, they are something more. They're spiritual, kind of like God is. And so they're kind of sons of God, but there's only one son of God. They're kind of like Jesus is the real thing. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Now, some confusion has resulted from this word begotten. Begotten does not mean made. Begotten does not mean that there was a time when he was not, as Arius uh, uh, said in the late 200s, early 300s. By the way, um, uh, uh, I like Nicholas. Nicholas, St. Nicholas. Y'all know St. Nicholas, right? Not, not, the, not the big guy with the, with the white beard and the red suit. I'm talking about the actual person, the actual church leader. St. Nicholas, <laughs> Arius is defending his position that Jesus is, is born, that he's created by God, that he is the first of God's creatures. And so there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. And St. Nicholas, this is in a church council now. This is, this is in the middle of church, basically. He gets up, he goes over to Arius, and he punches him in the face. You, you, can't, you can't make this stuff up, y'all. I like St. Nicholas. Straight to the point. Accurate doctrine, right? We want to be a little bit nicer than that. We don't want to punch people in the face. But the point is still, this concept that Jesus is begotten does not mean that he is a creature of God. He's begotten, but he's not made. There's no time when God is sitting there by himself and then suddenly decides, I want to have a son. And then comes Jesus. That's not how it worked. He is the everlasting son of God. God of God. And because he's the divine son, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. What he's saying is, angels don't get that. God never looks at an angel and says, you're my son now. But he looks at Christ and he says, you're my son. He's not only a divine son, he is the worshiped son. So he is divine. That means he deserves worship. And again, verse 6, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, what angel does he say? All the other angels are going to worship you. In fact, I seem to remember an angel that wanted all the other angels to worship him. Y'all remember? I think his name was Lucifer. <laughs> yeah, angels don't deserve worship. Only God deserves worship. And yet here is God saying to the Son, let all God's angels worship worship him. This actually comes from a couple passages in scripture. One is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. One is in Psalm 97. 
And in both cases, the, the manuscripts that we have are kind of mixed up. There, there are some manuscripts that say it one way and some manuscripts that say it a different way. But they point to the angels worshiping the Son of God, not the angels worshiping an angel. So he is the divine son and he is the worship son. And because he's worthy of worship and because he's, because he's God, he's worthy of worship. And because he's worthy of worship, he is far above the angels. So there's already a gulf of separation, but the writer of Hebrews isn't done yet. He goes down into verse 8 and tells us that he is the anointed king. Not only is he God's son, but he's the king that God has chosen. Verse 8, but of the son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What's interesting is that he doesn't just say, you have a scepter and you rule by righteousness. You do things that are righteous. That's not what he says. He says the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. In other words, it's not just something you do. It's something that you are by your nature. You, you look at the king or the queen of a country and they have a crown. The crown kind of represents their authority, right? And when they are wearing that crown, they are not just being the king or the queen because they have the crown on they have the crown because they are the king. They are the queen. Jesus doesn't have righteousness as a tool that symbolizes authority. He actually has the righteousness itself. He is the righteousness himself. And so it's not just something that, that he puts on and suddenly becomes righteous. It's not just something that he wields in his hand and becomes righteous. It's something that he is, therefore he wields it. Does that make sense? He's the anointed king. That word anointed, the reason that word is used is because the way that you choose someone in that day is you pour oil on them. You anoint them. God anoints his kings. He has chosen his son as the king. Fourth, he is the eternal creator. We've already talked about the fact that he is begotten, but that does not mean he's not made. Uh, his eternality goes beyond that. Um, verse 10, something else he says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the works, the heavens, excuse me, are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. How many of you guys have old, worn out clothes? I'm raising my hand because I are one. I have old, worn-out clothes, but you don't have any, though, right? With my kids, it's only a matter of days, if not hours, before some of their clothes become worn out. Um, this, it, it's a fight to find pants that don't have holes in them to wear to church on Sunday. Because there's, I guarantee you, if they wear a pair of pants more than five times, there will be a hole in one of the knees. That's just, that's kids, right? Clothes don't last very long. And even if they last, sometimes they're ugly after a while. And you don't want to be seen in public wearing that. How many of you have stuff from when you were younger that you would never dare wear in public? That you don't even know why you still have it, but you have it. How many of you don't want to admit that that's true? <laughs> okay. 
These things aren't made to last. The way one guy put it, if it's made by man, it's going to break. If it's made by man, it's going to wear out. If it's made by man, it's going to fail. It's going to fall apart. It's not going to last. They will all perish. They will all wear out like a garment. But you will remain like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. Not only eternally past, but eternally future. The same hand that makes the heavens and the earth is the same hand through all eternity. The same God who creates by the word from his mouth is the same God who will make all things new for all eternity future. Now the angels might last for eternity. Not like that. The angels may not wear out, but they're not like that. that. That's a whole different kind of existence right there. That's a kind of existence that, well, they depend on him to keep them. He is the divine son, the worshiped son, the anointed king, the eternal creator. He is the great conqueror. And verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Here, have a seat right here in the chosen place. In that day, you didn't sit in chairs or in pews. You sat on the ground. There would be pillows, I guess, kind of what we would think of as pillows, on the ground. And you wouldn't sit, even. You would recline, which means you'd lay down. And when you lay down, you would lay down kind of around, like if you're eating, for example, the, the spread of food would be in the middle, and, and you'd make this kind of, there'd be this kind of U-shape around. So, so anyone that might be serving the meal can serve through one direction, and then everybody else is kind of laying around, and, and there's a spot kind of in the middle of the U that is the, the spot of honor. The guest of honor, whoever, whoever this meal was for or whoever was hosting the meal, uh, if, there, if it wasn't in somebody's honor, it would be the host, would sit in the middle of that U, that, that center section, center seat. And then as you go out to the sides, there would be other people and those closest to that person would be right next to them and those further away would be those that aren't as close. So if you want to think of a family... The husband would sit in that central spot. The wife would be right next to him and kids would spread out. Probably the firstborn close to him and further along as you get along. So if you got like, like 10 or 15 kids and you're number 15, you're far, you, you may as well be in a different room. You're in a totally, <laughs> you're way over there. But the one of the two people right next to that person of honor, the one on the right would be the closest because the person of honor would be sitting facing that individual. They would lie like this so that the person on the right is the person they are directly engaging with. The person on the left would be to his back. Now, he could turn around and talk to him, but the person of honor would be right here on the right. And so I want you to picture this feast this divine spread with this kind of a shape to it. And here's God in the center. And who is it that's at his right hand? Who is it that he is facing and talking to and sharing the meal with most intimately? It's his own son, Jesus Christ. Sit at my right hand. 
You come sit in the best place and I'm going to make your enemies a footstool. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be the feet and not the footstool. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I'd much rather be the one sitting with my feet propped up than be the footstool on which somebody else's feet are propped up. That's a position of shame. A footstool. Why, in this shape, that's not even close to the table. That's, that's back here. When God does his work, he always receives the glory. And sometimes it's delayed. Sometimes we pretend it's us. Others pretend it's up to them. Sometimes people try to avoid God's work because, well, they're against him and they, they, don't, they don't want to see God glorified. They want to see themselves glorified. I will be like the Most High. But in the end, God always is glorified. And as he is, that glory doesn't just go to the Father. It also goes to the Son. Jesus is not just a son of God. He is the son of God. He is not just someone worthy of reverence. He is worthy of worship. Pure, complete, unashamed worship. He is not just chosen for a purpose. He is the chosen king set aside by God, anointed with oil. He is not just someone who's involved in God's work, but he is the eternal one who will always be God. He is not the benefactor, the one who gets a little bit of the spoils of war. He himself is the great conqueror, conquered sin and death and hell. One day will conquer all his enemies, riding on a white horse, the one called faithful and true. It's not even a battle when we get to Armageddon, y'all, it ain't even a battle. It's, it's an onslaught. No wonder he's exalted above the angels. You see, all the angels can do is serve God. They can't be God, but Jesus Christ is. And because of that, he is exalted over the angels, and he's worthy to be exalted too. Pray with me. Father, we sometimes, we sometimes are reminded of just how low we are, and, and sometimes... Sometimes we look at things like angels and we look at certain people or we look at, we look at certain things and, and we venerate them and we honor them and we view them as higher than us and sometimes we can get out of hand with it. Sometimes we can put them in a place of worship. So Father, I pray that Christ would be exalted so far above anything else that there wouldn't even be the slightest temptation to worship. That when we look at angels, we would so see the exalted Christ that the angels would pale in comparison. When we look at other things too, when we look at prophets of old or when we look at evangelists of today or when we look at our, our mothers or fathers or, or people that we honor or venerate or, or that we esteem, that when we look at them, all we would see is Christ. Space bar, 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 and a whole bunch more space bars. And then we'd see them. Father, I pray that you would be so high and lifted up that our eyes would be so drawn to you that everything else is put in its proper place. Thank you for angels who show us what it means to serve you. Thank you for angels that point us to your son, who give us your words, who protect us, sometimes 
Sometimes because we really need it. And other times because it's your will. Father, thank you for all that the angels show us about you because you're the one who matters. Help us put you in your proper place and everything else in theirs. In this time, be exalted in our hearts and in our lives. Do your work in us. May we be obedient to you. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.